0: This is Peter,
1: and this is Tom,
0: and you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast, Tom. Uh,
1: I have a little known one today, I would say. This is not a most known thing Well, I think it's a footnote in a lot of American history books. um I definitely remember going over it briefly, probably not in much detail as, as I was researching for it um, back when I was teaching this sort of stuff. But it was talked about, like you know, one of the reasons why whenever you got into the Cold War was you talked about oh, because the Americans sided with the the White Russians during the Bolshevik Revolution, right? mean yep. The Russians supposed the Red Russians so yeah. supposed to Red Russians, which uh, like the Bolsheviks and stuff like that. So what we're looking into today, the um, polar bear expedition, and really the um, American expeditionary force in northern Russia and in Siberia during during and right directly after the First World War. And it's a lot of history. It really is a complicated, you know, a lot of political, what are they doing there and why? And are, are we really on this side? Are we really on that side? It, it's a complicated bit, but we'll try to like sort a little bit of it out, give people a little bit of an understanding of it, because it happened over 100 years ago. Yes, yeah. try to give a little bit of information. Something like we said, yeah, it's a little probably less known or probably forgotten in history, at least forgotten in Western history. Definitely not forgotten so. in Eastern Russian history. Yeah,
0: I would say so. I mean, the it's, United States more or less kind of invaded Russia at the end of World War One. Yeah, um, well, all the uh, country, all, all, all the West,
1: the yeah. West did. So we're seeing a lot of this stuff now. We're seeing like how the Russians will be like, "Oh, you know, the West wants us destroyed." You know, that's probably a little bit uh, obviously an overstatement, but they they have some historical There's back, some credibility, kind of, yeah. There's some sort of credibility there. Yeah, to back it up if you really want to make that argument. They say it happened before,
0: to a small extent. To a small extent, yeah. This is not big by any chance. By any. This is not reason. a big invasion. Yeah. It's
1: it's. But there was American troops that occupied Soviet soil while well, Russian soil during the 1918.
0: It happened. Yeah, fighting against the Soviets, uh, yeah. a nation, the Soviet Union, which they then refused to actually recognize. So there is some history. Every time I teach Cold War, I kind of go to this moment. Like I start here. Yeah. As like a footnote of like, this is where the relations between the United States and Soviets, not necessarily Russians, Soviets, kind of sour a little bit. This is the beginning of it. And obviously, you know, this becomes a lot bigger deal after World War II and, you know, U.S. failed recognition of Soviet Union prior to World War II. But let's let us talk about Woodrow Wilson and the American soldiers Uh, Being sent to Russia, Siberia—I mean, the cold portion of Russia—in 1918, we should also mention that the World War One ends in November of 1918. But the United States forces are sent there only a couple months before that, and they stay until the war, like the war ends, then we're still there.
1: They're still there till
0: 1920.
1: Yep. So, yeah, there's a lot of back, and obviously, one reason why we're there—I guess we have to get into Russia leaves the war, right? Like, let's get into that. You have the Russian Revolution, Bolshevik Revolution, Lenin, and his um, socialist Bolshevik Party. And they withdraw from the allies. So the allies are upset. When we say the allies, we're talking about mostly France, Britain, United States, right? These yep. are the allies. And they're they don't like this because the war's still like kind of up in the air at this point. US is just getting involved, right? Yep. And they're still waiting to get a lot of the troops over. Britain France is pretty much a stalemate with Germany and the Central Powers at this point. Now Russia leaves. That opens up the Eastern Front. And now a lot of this Eastern Front is being those troops are now being thrown over to the Western Front. And they're within like artillery range of of paris at this point because yeah no
0: germany has does no longer a, has to fight a, a two-front two war,
1: war so they're just oh this is great we were you know fighting a stalemate on two fronts now we can just focus everything on one front so it works out perfectly for for germany uh, militarily so they're happy about this and the allies are like we, we need to do something about this and they're hoping that if the the white russians right as we're calling them if they somehow get control again that they will re-enter the war and that will reestablish the Eastern Front. That's something that the British and the French particularly want, is they want to reestablish that Eastern Front. So they yeah, don't was, guarantee that's going to happen, but that's kind of what they're hoping for. Um, the
0: White Army is really like a white movement. They're loyalists. Yeah, basically loyalists, loyalists and anti-communists.
1: Anti-communists for the most part. Well, obviously anti-communists. They don't necessarily want to bring back the Tsar, but, they, but they're... Anyone who is their anti-communist, basically. Yeah, that was the that was the one thing that
0: united them. So yeah. they represented a huge array of political opinions in Russia, as long as they all had one thing in common, and that was opposing the communist Bolsheviks. That was pretty much key here. So there were a lot of pockets, They're like military pockets of these. Uh, you might want to say like freedom warriors. This White Army and, and this movement, it tries to the best of their ability prevent Bolsheviks and the Red Army or Lenin's armies from taking full control of. Russia, even though obviously already the czar's fallen, right? So dead, Lenin yeah, is in, he's, charge. He's dead, yeah. in like, charge. So this is like a this is like a civil war that's being fought there between the whites and the reds, and the United States and the European countries more or less get very involved in this because the idea, as you mentioned, is that if maybe the whites overcome the reds, then the communism could stop and be halted in its tracks. That's clearly the key here. You have Britain, France, United States definitely favor the whites. Um, And there is a huge fear from those major powers of Lenin and any form of radical socialism. It's so anti-capitalist, but also anti-democracy that France, Britain, and the United States is very much afraid of the growing um, socialist movement that's happening around the world. I mean, the United States has its own red scare around this time because there's socialists and communists in the
1: United States. there's this protest for the the U.S. involved in the war. So there's, there's a real fear of that. And then in seeing it happen in a country the size of Russia just that was it so any any way they can try to like stem that or contain that that's really something that they're going to be all for that's essentially how we get in there right well so much yeah like there's a yeah they, so they, they the war breaks out and wilson is from what i think i could so i'm sure it too pete he's kind of like against it he still doesn't want to send anybody yep um but wilson is not exactly um he's not woodrow wilson either at this point he suffered a stroke It's something that history is aware of, but it's only come out in the last, I don't know, maybe like 50 years or so, maybe even less. Like how how, bad he was. How bad it really was and how enfeebled he actually was. So he was really being manipulated by his advisors and even by his wife. Now, I don't say manipulated necessarily in a bad or good way. He was just kind of being fed information. They're kind of running things for the most part. And so he did allow this to happen. But he was a lot of people of Ferrari kind of said that if he was Wilson of a few years earlier, he would have been totally against this. He's like, I'm not getting involved in this. Because he was a very much like isolationist as far as like, let's not really get involved in these sorts of things. Like it was the United States position that we're going to remain neutral and we're not going to get involved in what happens in Russia. Like whichever side wins, wins. The British and French really wanted to intervene. There was really a lot of pressure. Wilson agreed on two points. Preventing any of the war materials in Archangel, which is this place in Eastern Russia, Um to fall into German or Bolshevik hands, they didn't want that to happen. All these war more ma- materials, and two, he wanted to. They wanted to mount offense to rescue the Czechoslovakian Legion, which was stranded along the the Siberian Trans Siberian Railroad. So those are the two reasons why they were willing to intervene. And he said the Russians will. That they're not going to aid either side necessarily yep. in this. Yeah, we're not pro battle. white. Officially, we're not pro we're white, pro if, red. Yeah, even though know, they did, they wanted the whites to win. But once they actually get there, we'll get into this and actually see what a lot of the whites are. Um, not all of them, obviously, but we're kind of paraphrasing here. But there was a lot of atrocities that both sides. come in. They're like, whoa, this is just – it's just messy. Like it's yeah. just messy. And they're like, we really should not be here. This is just too messy. And us being here is just going to make things worse.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a civil war. Uh, you know, we're getting involved in a civil war. And every time we do that in American history, uh, it doesn't really pan out well for us, no, right? It's not, I mean, it's not
1: black and white. There's always shades of gray when you have yeah. something like that going on there.
0: Yeah, the one thing I want to touch upon that you mentioned briefly here is that the United States had sent a lot of war materials to help keep the Russian Empire in World War One. The Tsar uh, is losing this war prior to 1918. He keeps on calling for U.S. aid, And we sent about 110,000 new rifles and other war materials to help the Russian Empire. And that is sent. To this area, as you mentioned, known as Archangel, this is the city. Archangel Wilson is very much thinking from an economic standpoint here. Like, okay, well, there's these stockpiles that are worth like you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and we need those weapons mainly because we don't want them to fall into German or Russian hands, but also because that's a lot of money to be lost. So, half of this armed forces is are, are rather sent over to Archangel, really just to take these weapons and protect them and get them out of there. And the other half, uh, this Czechoslovak legion you speak about, volunteer armed forces composed primarily of Czechoslovakians and Slovaks fought on the side of the good guys, mainly because they wanted to win allied support for independence. For their own
1: independence, yeah. Yeah, from the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Once they get that, they're kind of done, and we'll get to that, because they were kind of like, like when I say they, that, the like British and French were hoping they would join up and then fight with the right, like kind of make this other force. Yeah, join up and then fight again, fight with the right Russians. But remember, the White Russians were never really fully organized either. Is something too? That's kind of like a whole other podcast. whole
0: and it's history.
1: There were so, like you said before, Pete. There were so many of these small little pockets that just fell under this blanket. The Bolsheviks were much more united. The Red uh, Red Army and their communist views. The White Army didn't really have this. All these different people vying for power, and it, it, it very much just kind of like the the American um, commander, their Graves describes as just a whole bunch of gangs. He just yeah. describes them as like gangs coming together. They had a common enemy, kinda, but they were also enemies of each other. Also, like they're all looking yeah. out for their own self-interest, which just made it chaotic. Plus, you're in you're in Siberia. Well, that's in Newark- yeah, that that's you're in North is Russia, Israel. which does not make it any better. Which is yeah. not make well. A it lot any of the Americans better, anyway. brought
0: their own horses, and the horses just died because they were not yeah. used to that cold. Yeah, and the one thing too, the Trans-Siberian Railway that these guys have to protect is just on the same page. Uh, it connects Russia to the Russian Far East, so basically it goes across Russia. It spans a length of about almost six thousand miles, and it's the longest railway line in the world um, to this day. That's how big of a deal the train. is. Yeah, it's fast, and
1: you're, you're just going to send these people to go and protect it. Like it's just not in the dead yeah, of winter. It, yeah, no, like, it's, it's 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 not something that's going to be easily done. And right away they're like, "What's going on? Like, why are we right. here?"
0: All right, so let's divide this. Uh, let's because there's two. Like we said, there's two forces sent. One is the American Expeditionary Force Siberia. Um, one's
1: that, the, A, the AEF for North Russia.
0: Yep, and then there's the other one, which is the North Russia, which is more commonly known as Polar Bear Expedition. Uh, that one is sent to get the weapons. The North Russia one and the Siberia one is to help protect the railroad and help save the um, Czechoslovakian Legion. Czechoslovakian. Yeah, and they both kind of wind up overlapping a little bit here, but... For the most part, yeah. So what do we got here? I don't know where you want to start. I don't know. You go. Uh, who sent where? Go, go for it. I was it. going to say Siberia. If you start with Siberia, the the bigger force sent to Siberia, the American Expeditionary Force, is sent in 1918 and stays there till 1920. Um, it is part of the larger North Russian intervention. This was the one where the United States fights along with Britain, France, um, and we're not necessarily fighting... We're really there more for, like, diplomatic, supposedly, um, but we're trying to save the Czechoslovak Legion. There is a total of about 8,000 officers and enlisted of men that are sent to Siberia to protect this Czechoslovak Legion, and really by protect, we mean help them escape from the clutches of the Red Army. It is led by Major General William Graves. Well, above. Graves
1: is basically there. Like you said, he gets in this mission, and unlike the um, some of the other... Um, counterparts that were sent there particularly from the british and france he's saying listen the american mission here is simply to protect American-supplied property and to help the Czechoslovakian legion evacuate russia yep we're not here to fight the bolsheviks that's what he says he's like we're not here for that and he's actually um he was calling a lot he was getting a lot of like um threats and a lot of pressure from the british commanders the french commanders, and the japanese but let's not forget about them we forgot to mention it before the japanese are in this area too and that's another reason why we're the americans are kind of like kind of weary because there's so many uh, Japanese in this area, because apparently the Ice read there was a um, we made this like deal with them that we could both send a max of ten thousand troops to this region just to like solidify the area and have you know our interests protected. But we find out by this point the Japanese sent sixty thousand troops over.
0: Yeah, they wanted to create a buffer zone. Uh, yeah, they
1: wanted to create a buffer zone. They want to make almost like a puppet, a puppet state in, in Siberia. Area so and uh, so we're like what is going on with the japanese so again you kind of laying some groundwork with this you know animosity between the japanese and the americans that's, that's going to boil over obviously in world war ii but you're seeing this in 1918 too and this graves guy he writes he writes a book about this in 1941 kind of huh, interesting the year right but he writes right. he writes a book that comes out in 1941 about all of this and where it describes a lot of this stuff and he's and he gives a lot of insight into it which with all, all the information that i think at least i found from this comes from him but he said that we are not taking part in this more of a this this, like direct fighting against the Bolsheviks. We're just not gonna do it, even though he's being pressured to.
2: I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II, and people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts.
0: There was actually one armed standoff between the uh, American forces and the Japanese military uh, that happened during the Siberia during this time. It was an American unit, 27th Infantry Regiment that was near the Trans-Siberian Railway. And apparently one guy, American guy, was guarding a position when a Japanese unit was disembarking from a train. And then one of the Japanese soldiers tried to pass into the American section but was blocked by this sentry. And a Japanese soldier then angered smacked the American across the head with a canteen strap. And in response, Private Smith raised his gun to fire, but his rifle jammed. So then he stabbed the Japanese soldier in the neck with his bayonet. You have Japanese guy, C. Smith, threatened to execute him, alert um, alerts American soldiers, and basically the commander of the American infantry mobilizes 250 men under his command and marches to the station to freeze Smith, who is now being held by the Japanese. You know, I would say
1: this is like a precursor, not precursor, because it's so little it's a, known. It's, it's a skirmish. It's a little like, you know, yeah. fight, but it shows there's animosity there, right? And plus, these I don't think either side wants to be there. Actually, you're reading, we'll get more when we get to the um, other campaign. But like it's just sub-zero temperatures. Like you said before, everything's freezing. Their guns a lot of times would freeze anyway because they were water-cooled. So they just froze. It became useless. And they were there for 19 months. Yep. And 189 of them did die from all sorts of um sorts of things. A lot of them um just in uh, this is the one just inside Siberia, a lot of them died even from um Benish flu, which yeah, was fighting. Was, you know, yeah, havoc. Havoc, yeah. It's
0: not they're not doing anything. They're just an occupation force protecting its railway. There's Japanese there, they get in a little skirmish with Japanese, but the bigger fighting force actually takes place in the other five thousand troops, the American Expeditionary Force, North Russia, more commonly known as the Polar Bear Expedition. And these were additional 5,000 troops apart from the um, Siberia Expeditionary the Force, Siberia. which was 8,000. And they
1: did come in some direct contact with the Red Army. They that fought. Comes. Yeah, they've actually fought with the Red Army. Again, they weren't really wa- – not not something that they really wanted to do. Like from what I was reading, like even they weren't really sure why they were there. There was a lot of charges or at least talk of mutiny as far – not that they mutinied, but like talk of like, you know, what why are we he- – um, what's the point? And they said they never really got like direct answers. It's just basically we have to fight for ourselves because the Bolsheviks didn't want them there. So that's what happened too. They would kind of like attack them in these skirmishes because it was like, why are you here? Yeah, You know, they didn't really have an answer. Either, well, Yeah, and, and so this one
0: is also very interesting because they were sent specifically to Archangel to get these American military
1: supplies, protect them, and bring them back to the Which U.S. Which were already gone by the time they got there. Exactly. Let's, let's, let's just bring that up, too. By the time right. they got there, the Bushers already got all these weapons. So they get to protect the weapons. The weapons are gone. They're lost already, and then they just stay there. And it's the same thing with the other legion that we talked about with the They were They were mostly evacuated for the most part. They got out. Yep. There was not yep. much to do, It's like, but then it's like, all right, so our missions are, are over, but why are we still here? Why do we say they stayed so long? There was no nothing available well, no to way pick out. them up. Yeah. There, was, there was no way out, because there was a lot of people back at home in the U.S. Who were saying, get them out of there. Like, what is going on? Because at this point, the war is over, right? Yeah. Well, they, they get there before, but at one point, the war, that's it. The Treaty of Versailles, everything's signed. Why are we still here, right? The arm, I'm not sure, the armistice is signed, right? Everything's done. So why are these soldiers still there? And, and that was kind of kept from the soldiers from what I read, too. A lot of soldiers didn't know the war was actually over. Like World War One was actually over until, like, they got letters from back home that said, hey, the war's over. Why, what's going on? Why are you in, why are you in Russia, yeah. of all places? And they're like, what? <laughs> like, it was kind of kept from them. So there was a lot of disinformation there. That's where a lot of the articles I've ever talked about, a lot of different information given to the soldiers and even back at home too, because there there were people, it wasn't widespread, but it was written about in the New York times and stuff like that. They they knew that there were American forces there, but they didn't really know why they were there.
0: Yeah, And also the polar bear expedition, the one in uh, North Russia, they got kind of tricked as well because when they got there to Archangel – and the actual military supplies were gone. The British commanders that were there wind up sending the a U.S. 1st yeah. Battalion uh, take up control, this river. Yeah, to yeah. take control. They're like, you need to go and get this railroad. And
1: they're like, what? <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, they're just...
0: So they're like, oh, wait, what's going on? And they basically trick them to like say, oh, the Red Russians, they're over there. They have these weapons, go over there. And now you have this polar bear expedition, this, this American force of 5,000 move and start chasing the Bolshevik forces. Um, and basically for the next six weeks, they wind up fighting the Bolshevik forces, which and is never meant the, to happen.
1: And they push them back. Well, the and Reds they,
0: push them back. And that becomes an issue. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. They push back. Well, they push the Bolshevik forces back. But then what happens is the front becomes so large, right? Yeah. It becomes hundreds of miles wide a lot, and lot narrow. It's like difficult to maintain and protect. And then by the end of um, October, it starts to get really cold. They're like, um, this is not – we're not going to be able to like hold this especially that winter's coming. So they start to like, you know, become more defensive and they're like, we're not gonna be able to hold this line as they start attacking. There's not, there's not enough of us. We're not well supplied. We're not ready for this. Like you said, the horses are dead. Like, this is, we're not, we weren't, we weren't, they weren't sent here for this.
0: And then we try to get locals, right? Then the United States were trying to say, okay, you know what? We're going to get a bunch of locals that are clearly anti-Bolshevik and anti-Reds and we'll raise an effective local force that will help us hold this line. But then they realize, the American commanders realized that the locals are like, yeah, no, we don't care. This is Siberia. Like, it's fine.
1: So yeah, they they don't care either way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now the American forces are like, well, that sucked. And that's when they start getting pushed back. By the Reds, and they're actually pushed all the way back to Archangel. They wound up suffering about, Americans suffer about 210 casualties. Uh, 110 deaths come directly from the battle between the American forces and the Red Army. Uh, There's about 30 missing in action and about 70 deaths from disease, uh, which, as you mentioned before, is primarily Spanish flu. The October 1919 report later on says that the casualties grow to 553
1: within the next few months. You know, it's just disease. You know, if you're injured, I mean, you're in the middle of Siberia in winter. Yeah. I, that's just got to be impossible conditions. And the morale was bad because like we talked about before, yep. they, they don't know why they're there. They're being lied to. At least they feel like they are being lied to, but they also know they're being lied to. Or at least information is being kept to them. Um, Wilson does actually direct the War Department in February of 1919 to begin planning the withdrawal of them from North Russia. The problem is they realize they can't get any, anything there because it's frozen. Yep. So then they have to wait until things fall out, They even get someone there. So they're just kind of stuck there. And the whole time they're still engaging in some like minor skirmishes here and off and on with Bolsheviks. And like we were talking about what um, Graves was talking about, he was in a different part. He's saying, listen, both sides are kind of the blank. Like neither side is like, there's no clear cut good guy and bad guy. Both sides are committing atrocities. And Graves actually writes that the white army commits a hundred atrocities, a hundred murders to every one that the Bolsheviks do. Nuts. So like, that's what's going on. And they're just seeing this and they're like, what is going on here? You know, they're just out to protect themselves really at this point. And it's really a rescue mission to get him out. I mean, the U.S. Army winds up sending an
0: icebreaker ship in April of 1919 with orders, direct orders from the United States to organize a withdrawal of American troops. Like They have to get in special ships to get them out at as early as possible moment. And then in May 26, the first half of the volunteer forces are rescued, but they're actually rescued by the British North Russian Relief Force. Same thing. It's like, this is like a a rescue mission to get these Americans out of there because of the
1: conditions that they got. Yeah, they realize it's taking. pointless. There's no reason to be in there. They're stuck there in the middle of the cult. It's a situation. It's only going to be more volatile the longer they're there.
0: So this is the thing that's kind of sad too, because after the expedition was over and the members returned home, the, there was a big realization that most of the bodies, the people were that died there. there were still there. So these polar bear veterans, they called themselves... Um, at the end of World War One, started really lobbying the state and federal governments to get some kind of money to retrieve the bodies of, they said, at least 125 Americans that were still buried in Russia and left behind. But again, you're talking Siberia, bad conditions, how do you get there? By then, so there's still 125 left. They're saying that by 1920, about 112 were already transferred back to the United States, but took it took until about 1930 for them to get in there and try to get the Rust remains of U.S. soldiers.
1: Yeah, and I think they do send a, the Russia itself sends us some more back in 1934 yep. that, they, that they recovered, that they send some back. But they still believe there's probably about 30 or so remains of soldiers still there. Yep. Um, and a lot of them are buried today at the um, Polar Bear Memorial in Chapel Cemetery in Troy, Michigan. Because mm-hmm. that's where most of them were actually from. Most of the Polar Bear soldiers were from uh, Michigan because the idea was they were more used to the cold. They were more, immaculate, um, you know, accustomed so, to yeah, it. accustomed to it.
0: Uh, and this was an interesting fact, right? I'm sure you saw that, that the last person to have participated in this allied intervention in Siberia passed away in 2003.
1: That's not that long ago. Yeah, no, i still there. But I think the main thing with this is also that it really creates the template for, I see it compared a lot to Vietnam, Korea, all right, and even Iraq um the occupation it's just saying that you know what were our clear objectives like the, it starts the beginning of american kind of like involvement in some other countries like the civil wars or whatever's going on there right for to protect our interests but that it winds up kind of it could backfire if especially you don't have like clear-cut goals and clear-cut strategy which is what yep. this was all right we send troops in fine What are we gonna do? protect these weapons right the weapons aren't there anymore oh just um what do the british want you to do and things just kind of fell apart and it wasn't clear-cut Anything, not, nothing was really defined. Like We weren't there to necessarily fight for the whites, right? We I mean, yeah. were aiding the whites. We would have preferred if they won, but then we kind of got there and see what they were. It's like, eh, maybe not. So that um, even Graves, right, you know, what was the justification? He says, there's no question that the, there wasn't any real reason for us to be there. So he talks about that. And it, like we said before, it really makes a lot of like anti-West feelings in Russia. They use this as a information, as kind of like evidence. Like, look, they wanted to, they were siding with the whites that were killing us. Yep. So obviously we can't trust them, you know.
0: I mean, just starting with what people that came back, most of them right away wrote angry memoirs, right? Including, as you yeah. mentioned, Graves. It's like, why, why do we do this? And historians still see Wilson's decision as kind of like one of the worst wartime decisions of World War One. Yeah, but
1: wasn't really his decision. That's the well, that's thing. A, I, that's a key. That's yeah. the thing. That's the thing. I'm, you want to blame him? Blame him. It's fine. It's his administration. I know Harding actually comes out and says it was a bad decision. Yeah. Like afterwards, and he said he he just blames it all on Wilson. But it's like, was that really Wilson? Like, who knows? Like, it was the Secretary of State. They're saying, well, Secretary of War, you know, I'm not saying, you know, there was so much other factors going in there yeah. and they probably didn't foresee it becoming what it became, but it was also just one of those things that like, you know, yeah, help out. We have to make sure we protect our interests there and try to yeah, get to no work on. There's no real goals, and, and that's what you can't send troops in without having a real, true goal. Korea, Vietnam, you know. So it's just it's interesting. It's to kind of throw this in with those two other with all the other conflicts that happen later on, but in context, it's just it's just interesting. You kind of see it more, you know. Yeah. it's all about eye opening.
0: I actually read a book about this a few years back, and I remember the author, uh, Carl Richard, was the author, argued that the actual intervention backfired because it strengthened the Bolsheviks regime. As opposed to the original intention that was meant. Well, it gave to gave him populate.
1: another it gave him another enemy in the West. Yeah,
0: it was like, well, you know what? Look what's happening here. America's
1: coming right. to interfere with us, Russians. So remember, it wasn't just America either. It was the British and the French. It was the Japanese, but it wasn't just the United States. I and mean, The United States wasn't the United. It wasn't the superpower it was was later going to become yeah. either in 1918. Crazy. But yeah, it just it lays down that foundation. You, you, I don't think the Cold War becomes as cold if it wasn't for this. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. Because Wilson did want to have friendly relations with Russia, It's like, "Listen, if Russia becomes communist, he didn't really, from what I saw, like, he, he cared. But if it happened, it happened. Anyway, just yeah. had this whole deep thing. Anyway,
0: well, no, I, I mean, <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll
1: This is what starts the Cold War, almost annihilates the world. Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, no, you're absolutely right. I, I do no, think that it's, <laughs> it's fine, P. I'm, I'm just saying it's kind of like, <laughs> anyway, that's like in class. Well, the bell rang. See you tomorrow. Bye. Good job. <laughs> take it easy guys take it easy uh
0: well yeah but i mean if we do it we, did we do one on the
1: cold war i feel like we did i don't know we've done one parts in the cold war but this this definitely sets the seeds of it like if you want to yeah. say where does a cold war really start you got to start with, with 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 this and that the american sided or at least they invaded russia they actually you know were in russia and the russians didn't want us there yeah or at least the bolsheviks didn't and they you know actively engaged against the bolsheviks at some parts in northern russia Flip it, and let's say that like the Russians sent troops over, yeah, and try to help out the confederacy, and try to help out the confederacy. How, how do you yeah. think that's going to like make people in other parts of the country feel? Like it's it's going to lay down the foundation that's going to last for a long time, and it's history. It happened. You can't say it didn't happen, and that's always going to be something that's there. You know what I mean? Well, you did invade in nineteen eighteen. Like that's it. That, yeah. Tell me that you didn't. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And you can't. And then that's always going to be that like that one like feather in their cap or whatever you want to call it, you know.
0: Nuts. All right. <laughs> On this, there, there's a segue now. There's, there's a segue. Go for All it. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys, for listening to our podcast. We do appreciate it. Uh, if you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteachers.talkingpodcast.com. Please feel free to click that subscribe button and leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, thanks so much, and we'll see you guys next week.
1: Stay safe, everybody.
0: hope everyone enjoyed our podcast and if you would like to email us you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at
2: gmail.com i'm ken harbaugh host of burn the boats from evergreen podcasts i interview political leaders and influencers folks like award-winning journalist soledad o'brien and conservative columnist bill crystal about the choices they confront when failure is not an option i won't agree with everyone i talk to but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.